Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. Great to have you with me. V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care, available in Repcon Australia and New Zealand and other auto stores. One man, though, on this podcast who is only available on Repco shelving, not in any other auto stores, is Will Dale. Hello, Will Dale. Hello. Good intro? <laughs> yes. Well, I've been working on that. I've been uh, building up to that. Uh, this is our Repco Bathurst 1000 Race Week Q&A, where you bring the Qs, we bring the As, and hopefully... Everyone's happy at the end of the day. We've had a big call out in the lead up to this race weekend. We've got plenty of questions that have all got Bathurst great race flavour. The satchel has been opened. The flavour's been spread. The smoke has been coming off the AN1 data computer. Yeah, there's been a bit of that going on too just quietly. That database has never worked as hard uh, as preparing for this Q&A pod. So let's bowl in straight away. Paul Monker, what happened to Kerry Luckins? There's a name from Bathurst telecast history that not a lot of people might know. No, you look back at those um, DVDs released over the last few years, you see Kerry pop up in Pit Lane in like the late 70s. Yeah, and he's also yeah. in the ABC Sandown 500 and just generally ABC broadcast mm. as well. Or Sandown 250 or 400 or whatever it was back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, hang 10. Hang 10, was, 400. Yeah. And I didn't realise until um, this question popped up and I was doing a bit of a look into Kerry Luckins that he was president of the LCCA around that point. Of Australia. Yeah, yeah which was ran Sandown. Ran Sandown. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And was largely responsible for... Was seventy eight the year that Juan Manuel Fangio mm-hmm. came out? Yeah, and Australian Grand Prix and Hang Ten Four Hundred year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so no, if you look back through those seven Sport Magic Moments DVDs, of course, there's a, a bunch of them on our V Eight Sleuth Superstore. Um, you'll see and hear a bit of Kerry's work. He passed away in 2015, but uh, lives on as part of Bathurst Great Race history. A um, couple of questions here that have got the sort of same flavour. So let's bolt them together. Um, Brett Folkart asked what year had the highest rate of DNFs in the Great Race, and Brian Burgess asked, well, kind of the same thing in a different way. In the 1000 era, what's the lowest percentage of starters that finished and the highest percentage of starters that finished? So let's tackle them and strip it down. So um, what's the lowest percentage of finishes? I've got a feeling it has to be back in the day when the cars were nowhere near as reliable as they are in more recent times. You'd be correct. I actually thought it was even further back than this, back into the series production era, but it was actually in like peak group C, 1977. Of the 60 cars that started that year's race, only 22 of them were finishers. Uh, 37 cars failed to make the checkered flag or be classified, and one was disqualified. So So 37%. The the disqualification made it to the finish, but just didn't get to stay in the results at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, Looking back through that, though, do we know what was next? Um, Right behind that was actually 1988, if you think. Okay, Group A era. Group A era, which when you think about how many um, leading contenders fell over in the early laps and how many cars were running on the final lap but not classified as a finisher. Yeah, there was plenty. It was quite a few. Uh, 1999 is next after that. Big field. Big field, yes. 55 cars, V8 supercar era. First year it was championship points actually as well. So uh, interesting. Interesting, yeah. interesting. And then after that, the 1997 two-liter race and then the 1982 1000. Okay, interesting. All have finishing rates under 42%. Uh, it was better back in the day, Will. It was better back in the day. <laughs> Certainly if you were selling parts, yes. <laughs> yeah, if you were starting way back on the grid just trying to eke out a finish and get your way forward and grab a top 10 or a top 15, then it was better back in the day. Uh, it, does, it did get a little bit easier. Highest percentage rate. I've had a look at this. And I do remember this one vividly. So 2018 was when the best percentage, 92% of mm. cars that started finished, 26 of the 28. Not shocked that it's the modern era that delivers that, given when you look at the retirements, generally the highest percentage reason for retirement is crashes. Yes. Not mechanical breakdowns or, or failures. So that's not too much of a shock that that one um, stands out. But I noticed that Brian's element of the question was in the 1,000 era Mm. so that kind of excludes everything before 73 but if you have a look before that which is staggering it's actually the 64 race that gets into the top five 
behind the supercar era. So it's 2018 with the best finishing rate, then 2013, 2012, 2011, 1964's top five. Don't know, right? I guess it speaks to the resourcefulness of the things people were willing to do to get their car to the finish, given that the whole point of the race in that era was to illustrate your mark's reliability and, was and sell cars the next day. But was that in the period too when there wasn't a three-quarters of the race type, you've got to do X amount of percentage of the race to be classified as a finisher? Because I got a feeling yeah. in the early uh, years yeah. that, wasn't, that rule wasn't in place. True, but they also had the rule where you couldn't work on the car with anything other than the toolkit that was in it for the first 15 or 20 laps. So swings and roundabouts. Yeah, true. Could you imagine if uh, that rule was brought into play in the current era? There'd be a lot more tools be, in that toolbox. I think. be a lot of blokes are scratching their helmets wondering what do I do what do I do with any of this stuff yeah interesting interesting Brody Taylor has the next question what is the year with the biggest difference in age between the oldest and youngest drivers on the grid and Brody's guessing that might be 1999 which had Paul Dumbrell at 16 years of age on the grid Gee, I feel old when you wheel out a question like that. That's, I'm sure PD uh, feels old when you wheel out a question like well, that too. Well, I'm, I'm going to remind him all about it over the course of this uh, week at the Repco Bathurst 1000. Um, a little bit hard to answer fully definitively without all the birth dates for every Bathurst enduro starter. Yeah. But, uh, we're getting there. We're getting we're there. Getting We've been there. filling in the gaps in our database over time. But if you or anyone in your family drove in the great race in the 60s or the early 70s and they might not be a big name, We'd love their date of birth, though, to be able to put them into our record. So jump on our website, get on the contact page and fire us in a note. So in 99, PD was 17 by the time it was the race day, I think, mm, from memory. Yeah. Because he's so – the race that year was November and oh, he debuted as a 16-year-old in the championship at, at Simmons, Simmons. yeah. But by the time they got to Bathurst, he was 17. Um which was in November, and his birthday, from my memories, start of September. So, correct when first you look, of September. Yeah, there you go. Um, when you look through the '99 list, the guy that stands out instantly, and we we looked this up a bit deeper, Scotty Taylor, the mm. Xerox Shop Commodore, longtime privateer. He was 58 in the same race that PD was 17. I think that was Scotty's last Bathurst, and that car went out with a handful of laps on the board. So. Um, Fairly decent age gap between the youngest and oldest in that year's race, but not the record. It has not been beaten. I should say has been beaten. Um, and you don't have to go much further back to find it. The two two-litre races had Bob Holden in them. <laughs> of course Bob Holden was going to be half the answer of this he question, was, wasn't he? And he wasn't going to be the young half, that's for no, sure. No. So in, in 98, when he drove the Faber-Castell BMW, former factory diet co-car, that's the same car that the dude and Alfred Hager won the two-litre class in, in 94. That's a yeah. bit of a chassis, nerdy note. So in 98, he was 65. Now, he's got to be the oldest great race driver in history off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure we looked into that um, some time ago. But in that 98 two-litre race also was that year's Formula Ford champion, Adam Macro, who's been on the pod before. Uh, he was 19. 46-year age gap between <laughs> youngest and oldest in the 98 uh, AMP Bathurst 1000 two-litre race. There you go. That is, that's a record that's going to be very hard to beat from this point on. Can't Russell Engel gave it a crack a couple of years ago I, but didn't quite have enough years on his side. I can't see that one ever, ever being beaten. That'll be amazing. Ken Smith, line one. <laughs> Kenny's never started the great well, – has no, he done the great race? No, I don't think so. I'm noted, pretty sure he didn't. Noted Kiwi open wheel racer. Mm, yeah, still going. Uh, next question from Dan Boyle, who I believe was at our Tickford talk night a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the open night was good fun, wasn't it? Um, yeah. In the week of the Sandown 500, plenty of Tickford guests out there uh, enjoying uh, race headquarters in Sandown week, plenty of good stories. Four Tickford blokes were in very good form. They were knee-slapping form in some cases. Knee-slapping form. For those who were there, Thomas Randall loves a good knee-slap. If you see him <laughs> in the paddock at the... Uh, Bathurst 1000, Gold Coast or Adelaide, just uh, slap your knee and just say, oh, great stuff, Thomas, even if you don't know the story. Uh, uh, quality quality chat funny. from Corto as well. Corto. And uh, Declan Fraser coined the term the chip. The chip. Which <laughs> I'd forgotten we, we looked about at him that. weird and thought, what are you on about, Fraser? And he said, well, the championship. It's short for saying <laughs> the championship. I'm like, well... Yeah, I, can I, is, I can verify that is not a North Queensland thing, certainly not from not from when no, I – he no. and I are slightly different generations. And, but And don't ask him if it's Castlemaine or Castlemaine. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> but I know Dan and plenty of our guests had a great night uh, at the Tick for Night, so thank you, everyone, for, 
for coming along. Uh, we're going to have more V8 Sleuth Open Nights uh, next year, so keep you. I know we always We've got get one people, this week. Well, we do, yeah. It's, it's sold out, so there's no yes. more tickets for the Larry Night. Uh, it went in three days flat when we put those tickets on sale a while back. So more Open Nights to come next year, so keep your eyes peeled. All the more reason that you need to be subscribed to our newsletter. Uh, at least yes. because uh, but if you miss it on social sometimes the algorithm means you don't see our posts and if you don't come to our website every day get on the email list because you'll definitely see it when it comes through there we always put it into our email so uh, Dan Boyle's question I like this Where, where's he going here? he's playing numbers he's he? playing numbers he asks what is the lowest car number to never win the race off the top of your head what do you reckon it is it's a low digit it has to be hmm um, it's clearly not one. That's that's one quite race successful. a few times, and it's clearly not two because it's been quite successful too. Zero five. Do you count that as under one or two or under five or over five? I'd count it as being around five. Okay, fair play. Um, I, I was thinking about this question when I saw it pondered, and I'd have to go three. I can't think of a three that's won. That's correct. 58 Bathurst 500 slash 1000 starts, zero wins. But it has had three second placings. So in 1986 with Neil Lowe and John Harvey. Oh, Holden Dealer Dealer 10 Commodore. Commodore, yeah. The Uh, one year that they ran three. Yes, yeah. Which I don't know what that was about. I think they'd been seven the previous year. Mm. And then that became the Bob Jane team arts BMW Gary Rogers number. It was Bob Jane's number. Yeah. Charlie O'Brien. Oh, that was the bumper to bumper car. Because he had seven sponsorship. That was the Bob Jane car. Through the year. And at Bathurst, it was the Bob Jane car. Yeah. But Charlie had Channel 7 sponsorship. Yeah, he did too. Yeah, he did. Yep, that's right. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, And anyway, the Holden Dealer team, by the time Bathurst came around the next year, was no longer the It was HDT Racing, but that's a whole other topic. So when I say three, instantly I go Jason Richards because the Dodo car with he and Jamie Winkup in 05, which I had a close connection to, was second. Yep. And it and looks then, like he's holding a three-pack of VHS tapes as he walks out onto the podium. I've never understood what that trophy was or what it, What's this? If what? you look at the photos of him walking out on the podium. Jason. Jason. Yeah. It lo- he looks like he's holding a three-pack of VHS tapes. <laughs> From Brashes? Or? I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> you, were, you were their PR um, person. I don't know. I was not on the podium. Yeah. Um, good question. Must review the tape to see what uh, what I'm following there. And three with, was a Tasman number, obviously, which came from Lansvale. Hmm. And then it was – oh, it was Murph and Jason again in 08. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So they're the three, they're the three times number places. three has finished second and that's the best it's done Yes, without getting a win. So, But there is another number. And when, with what you asked before about where 05 sits relative to 5. Ah, oh, I see where you're going here, I think. 02, Rick Kelly, Nathan Pretty, Young Lions Commodore. Or are you going I'm further going back? further, yeah. You're going double O. Double O. Lions Crompton. Yes, which sat like between 10 and 11 on entry lists, which I never yeah, understood. I, I never understood that. But, I, I mean, know. technically that should be that would be either the lowest or one of the highest numbers to never win the race depending on how you um, how you count. I'd say low. Yeah. Yeah. What's lower than zero? Yeah. Yeah, it wins. Has there, there's never been a car that's been number zero on its by itself, though. I mean, remember Damon Hill was zero for mm. Williams in... That, that feels like the sort of thing Jack Hinksman and Ivan Stibbard would have frowned upon. I reckon they wouldn't have let that through. Yeah. I mean, it was a shit ton of a difficult time to get 0-5 through in <laughs> the yes. 70s. They didn't let yeah. it through. He had to run five for the first, what, 75, 76, mm. 77 he was in 25. You remember Took Bri- him until 78 to have 0-5 get by. Well, on that sort of vein, you remember Brian Sala back in the day had the same kind of sponsorship but ran double zero because he was so young yeah. to signify – Zero alcohol percentage. Yeah, that's right. On his NASCAR, I remember. On his NASCAR, that. yeah. At, at Bathurst, when he drove the Sierra, it was number 50, mm. which was 0.05 the other way around. Yeah. Not that you could blow 0.5 because that would be oh, – you would not, not be breathing. No. That's for yeah. sure. That's for sure. Oh, that's cool. I like that about number three. That's, mm. a, that's a good question. I like yeah. it. Well played, Dan. Well played. Uh, could potentially be broken by Blanchard Racing Team this year. Could. Let's yep. see. History is made to be changed and broken and records are made to be broken. You yes. never know. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint. May 17 to 19. Book now at Tech. Supercars. 
Unforgettable. Andy Anderson asks, what's the starting position on the grid that has gone in to win the most 1,000s? Is it pole position? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. Not by much, though. No. I've got a feeling yeah. it's not by truckloads. Um, 13 times the car that started on pole position went on to win the race. And are we counting this from when they started qualifying times or when they set the grid previous to that? Well, because the, the winner yeah. didn't come from the pole anyway. It was the big cars with the low numbers that weren't very reliable no, anyway. The Studebaker larks and so yeah, forth. Yeah, they so, might have led yeah. a lap or two, but that was about yeah. it. Yeah. The, the wording of that was very careful because, of course, we have a pole position winner in 2019 that didn't start from pole oh, position on the yeah, grid. That's that's right. That just mucks up all the records, really. Yes. Because officially, Chas Moss is the pole sitter of a race that he started from second physically. Yeah, and Tickford front have a front row lockout to that race by Without the records. Having a car, both cars in the front row. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. I think sometimes some of these penalties are given and they never stop to think about the actualities of this sort of stuff. Yeah, but poor anyway. us. <laughs> poor us, yeah. Who <laughs> cares us. about us? Who cares about us? We didn't have to pay the fine. Um, so the next most amount of wins from a grid position second, so Front row is good. To Makes sense. The place to be. Um, Eleven times the race has been won from second on the grid. Okay, so it's pretty close. It's actually pretty close. So you want to be on that front row. That's yeah. But then you look through the years, and it's been won by lots of spots in the teens. Every spot in the ten except one, though. Mm, yes. And there's a there's a thing here, and I've explored this a little in the official program for this year's Repco Bathurst One Thousand. You can buy it at the track, by the way in the Repco trackside store, bottom of the mountain, Harris Park, top of the mountain, um, up at McPhillamy Park. I've done a feature on this because I had a theory for a while and it irked me and bugged me to the point where I had to sit down and research this. No one since 1963 when this race went to Mount Panorama has won the race starting from eighth on the grid. They've won it from every other spot in the 10, from 12th, from 15th, from last, from 19th, 20th, all sorts of random weird spots. But the outside of the fourth row of the grid as it is now, there was a time when it was 3-2-3 three, three and mm. all that stuff, it is staggering to think that every other spot in all that time has been able to nail a win but not eighth. That is the place I look for at the end of every top ten shootout of Bathurst or Friday qualifying last year yes. to see who's eighth because I just think, you poor bastard, seriously, <laughs> you are no chance. The mountain is not going to let you win today. And she didn't let the eighth place starter win very early in last year's race, from memory. That was James Courtney and got it done very early. Yeah, uh, young Zane Goddard. Goddard. But back over time, there's been close calls where it's nearly got the job done, mm. but nearly's not good enough. William, it is second win, is not first. Correct, <laughs> yeah. first loser. So David Reynolds, 2012, started eighth, nearly. Nearly. But not there. A couple of hundred mils less fuel in car one, maybe. 162 mm. lap race, maybe. Mm. Yeah, but not. No. So eighth is just this vortex of no result. It just doesn't happen. Well, you could argue the um, bad luck for Reynolds extended to the podium given that he ended up the day down. What, a, a grand? Well, that wasn't bad luck. That was the only stupidity well, when he lobbed yeah. that microphone off the podium and Channel 7, what did Channel 7 send him the invoice for? A couple of grand? Like three, whatever it was, it was more than the bonus he was paid yeah. by, by FPR. I think he was down a thousand. He, he calls it the Bathurst yeah. minus one thousand out yeah. of all that weekend. But there's a big feature on that um, in the official uh, Repco Bathurst one thousand program available at the track. If you're not at the track, um, you can get a copy from our uh, V8 Sleuth Superstore. Superstore.v8sleuth.com.au. We'll put the the link in the show notes so you get in there. But uh, get in there and get on it because uh, they might be already all gone, if not already. So get onto it before they sell out because we have printed them in a limited number. Um, 60th anniversary edition, add it to your collection now. Uh, Mark Wilkins has got the next question. What year had the most international drivers entered for the great race? So my first thinking for this would be 87 because that was a world championship round. Mm -hmm. You think of all the factory BMWs that came out, yep. the work second boot Sierras, um, and a whole heap of other and drivers. And a lot of Kiwis. And, and we a lot do of Kiwis. Kiwis as part of this. We do. Um, and, yes, 42 different drivers from over, from outside of Australia started that year's race. And it was, I think, a 48-car grid once or a lot of oh, something like that. Something, something like, like that. that, yeah. Yeah, the third Texaco car was a non-starter, but it was qualified by one of the other car's drivers and all that and stuff. And a few but local drivers didn't make 110% mm. or whatever the magic number was back yep. in the day. Yep. But... Surely the two-litre race 
98 when there was more cars would go close. It sure did. Um, 41. So oh, one driver. Close. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because there were, of course, there was that Schedule S class Remember with vividly, a lot of Kiwi drivers. That was my category to cover for motorsport news. Yeah, right. Day, was, that, was that our first introduction to Jason Richards? No, because he no, was he in a BMW the year before. before with yeah. Riley. Yeah, but he was the dominator in that Schedule S class in one of the Lyle Williamson BMWs with Barry Tomlinson. Mm. And they led for a long way before the thing broke. And then the sister car won the class with Kevin Bell, who raced Formula Holden. Remember that car yes. in Adelaide that snapped the front off? Yeah. Um, Belly, what a legend. Ripping bloke. Raced Carrera Cup the first year here too. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Rod Hicks, another Kiwi. Hmm. But there was some – yeah, there was some cool cars in that class because that was my little – my category to cover for, for motorsport news back in the day. So um, a couple of interesting names and interesting cars and – Cars that we never saw in a Bathurst 1000 before or since in the Schedule S class. Was that the Honda year that had a Honda Civic with a sunroof that Macro that was drove? In, that was in the production car class. Right. Schedule S, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was that was that year where there was uh, Super Tourers, Schedule S cars. So they were from New Zealand. They were, they were a cheaper form of under two-litre touring car, basically. Mm. Um, I think a BMW class... Uh, Schedule S car was probably good for a 230-something. Oh, yeah, okay. And then the slower ones were 40s and 50s. Like there was a Corolla and there was a Peugeot 405 and a there was a Suzuki that barrel rolled at the end of Conrod and never made it to the race, a Bellino, I think, from memory. But, yeah, anyway, and then there were a couple of proddy cars in there, 626 Mazdas and a, the Camry and mm. a bit of that sort of stuff. So um, that's all a little bit random. But what if you took out Kiwis? Does that change the mix at all? Uh, it actually doesn't change the final answer. So taking Kiwis out, 25 non-Australian or New Zealand drivers started the 87 race, and that's okay, still the makes record. Sense. Yeah, makes sense. Um, but it does mean that the 97 two-litre race is second, um, and then the 77 great and, race is third. And that doesn't shock me when you really think about it because 77 was the first year of the attempt to – well, not attempt, it did – internationalised the race. That's mm. when AJ Foyt was supposed to come and drive for the Holden dealer team and Johnny Rutherford came and Janet Guthrie came and Henri Pescarolo was there. and Jackie you know, Hicks, of Jackie course. Jackie Hicks, of course, winner, yeah. won the race. So there was that period where the eyes were open to the world in terms of oh, John Fitzpatrick was there. He'd won the race the previous he, year, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was back for another crack. So there was that opening of the blinkers to the world and the possibilities and really opening up the, the race to, you know, a bit wider thinking. Mm. That's kind of relevant to the next question from Pierre Amon. How many South Africans and when uh, took part in the Great Race and when did they take part? Uh, he says he's aware of one in 1977 in a Tirana and had a quick look at Pierre's profile on Facebook and he is a South African listener. Funnily enough, he should ask such a question. But yes. um, 77 in Tirana was Basil Van Ruen, who sadly, very recently passed away in the lead up to this year's great race. He lived in Australia for a very long time. Yeah, which I didn't realise yeah, until. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, he was a, a long-time Australian resident since the 80s from my memory. Hmm. But he drove one of the uh, Bill Patterson Tiranas with Jerry Marshall, the, hmm. the, the English um, well, saloon car, you've got to say. They called them saloon cars, not touring cars in those days. Uh, he's a legend of British saloon car racing. I yeah. mean, he was, he was huge. He was really huge. And... He was the guy that Brock had driven at Spa at the 24-hour with earlier that oh, yeah, year. and the Vauxhall dealer team. And they won their yeah. class and finished second overall in a two-man crew, which is probably one of Brock's most overlooked results mm. in his career because it was back in the day where, you know, you couldn't just flick on telly and, no. you know, catch Spa on YouTube in 1977. It didn't kind of work that way. could, though. Yeah, but uh, they drove together in one of the three uh, Bill Patterson Tiranas. I think they were in the... Ford or A9X. I think they were in the other A9X. Yeah, the Brock boys were in the hatchback and Tony Roberts and Doug Shivers were in the L34. Mm. So, um, yeah, so just the one. No other South Africans before or since. Probably the the only one that springs to mind has ever been half of maybe, maybe loose out there chance. There was a bit of a chat in the mid-'90s about Ford South Africa being keen trying to put some South African Ford drivers into the V8s to yeah, right. run at Bathurst. It springs to my mind that Dean Jubay was one of them who was linked to it. Um, Mike Briggs, remember Mike Briggs? Oh, who raced, yes. Um, Super Tourers, he drove the 
Petronas Mondeo briefly mm. here in Australia in the BOC series. Drove in um, the BTCC deputising for James Thompson at the correct. end of 95 in the factory Vauxhall team. That's it. That's him. So um, I'm not sure if he was ever um, a realistic chance of driving in the 97 two-litre race, but kind of as close as we get to South African touring car drivers <laughs> um, in Australia. So cool question. Takes us back uh, down memory lane. Jamie Mitchell. Oh, this is interesting. This is very subjective, by the way. Uh, on paper... Does that mean that you could have this one off paper as well? Yes. Okay, press on. Uh, <laughs> who do you think ranks as the strongest driver combination to never win the great race? That's an interesting one. So are we keeping it to combos that actually ever competed together? I think so. Okay, yeah. right. That's fair play. That's yeah. fair play. Uh, otherwise, you could put all sorts of combos together. What's your number one obvious one? So there were a few that popped up in the comments under that post and the one that I can't go past is Mark Scaife Garth Tander. It's pretty good. 06. Like they have a or 08. Or 08 for that matter. Um, both got bad start got bad starts both years. Um, well Garth got a good one. Good and then bad. <laughs> yes, it went when, went downhill when, rapidly, just not stopped, as downhill as in 06. Anyway and he still got a penalty. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty hard to top. I, I mean, it's all a bit subjective too, but I'd say Scaife and Murphy Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good call. That's got to be call. the mix too, 09, um, Sprint Gas Unlucky car. not to win that race, Yeah, really. it could have been very much off this list and out of this podcast in yeah. the blink of a safety car potentially. But I also – my memory takes me to Brock and Moffat from 86, but when I look at that too, Moffat by that stage wasn't the Moffat of the 70s. Mm. I, I don't I don't think. But he was still a you know, big name. Um, he, was still, he was still very good. Well, if you'd put him – I mean, that's the thing. That was the last year before they brought in the minimum driver rule mm. because Graham Bailey did all of about 20-odd laps in the winning car. So if he'd had to do 54 minimum and he's up against Terry Shield in the Nissan, Glenn Seaton's Nissan, Alan Moffat in the Mobile Commodore, it's a different, probably a little bit of a different game, but you, you can't apply rules. But, I mean, that's, that's an obvious combo that is, oh, wow, like were they the strongest combo of where they were at that time? It's pretty... Pretty solid. Like, oh, yeah. Pretty damn good. Two, bath- two great race legends. Yeah. One that probably doesn't really pop up, and they came very close to getting off this list, is Rick and Todd Kelly, who oh, I yes. think are massively underrated for their – Oh, yeah. Both both of their careers on the whole, but their performances at Bathurst, particularly in that mid-2000 era as well. well consistently two of the strongest drivers there. And Rick's, Rick's role in – his two wins with Greg Murphy is often underplayed, certainly in 04. He played a bigger role in 04. Yeah. For sure. Murph did probably more of the heavy lifting in 03. But, I mean, Rick still did his bit, but Rick had a bit more ownership of the 04 one, I reckon. But And then, mm. of course, Todd won in 05. On his birthday. On his birthday. And then the boys paired up in the toll car and finished second in 06. So mm. there's a great period there for the the Kellys of, of performance at Bathurst. So even, that own, even that 09 race in the um, low downforce special oh, the Jack Daniels <laughs> car, yeah. <laughs> I will always remember Garth just, was it Rick at the wheel of the JD car? Garth just carting him to the grass, yeah. up mountain straight. Yeah. It's like, you know, I the think classic, Rick's forgotten. Yeah, it's the classic, uh, this is to win Bathurst, I will do whatever it takes yeah. right here, right now, and yeah. that's what happened. Um, anyone from the Ford side of the fence that grabs your fancy? Because kind of all of these have been sort of Holden flavoured. Well, that's the thing. Like, I guess, oh, Gagan, Gagan, the Gagan brothers are probably a yeah. Like, did that did ranks yeah did technically did win the race for about six hours until they went back and did a recount <laughs> in sixty seven. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, that's probably that's probably the one that I can think of off the top of my head for mm. the Ford side of the fence. Can I throw another Ford one at you? Go right ahead. Marcus Ambrose and Russell Ingle, Stone Brothers Racing, two thousand and three. Yeah. I don't know if they were that strong as a combination, though. That was the uh, issue. That's, that was the that's issue. That's where it probably falls down. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Whereas you look at some of the other combinations on this list when they drove together, they were very strong. Mm. Like that in 06, no one would have seen where Scape and Tanda went had the start gone not awry. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think, too, that I would, I would put it in this list, Stephen Richards and Russell Ingle. In 2002, oh, yeah. they did everything but win that race. Yeah, it was a very good call. And they finished second at Queensland 500. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, Richo. Richo, Richo. Five-time uh, five time Richo. Yeah. Two-time Russell. So anyway, there's a couple of interesting combinations from back over time that uh, 
that mix together and make for an interesting pub chat. Um, can you say Rodney's surname of the next question? Rodney Magazinovich. Nice. How, well how many different makes have started the great race? Oh, shit. Uh, lots. There's two this year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more than two. Yeah. Um, all right. What did the database say? 37. Shit. Okay. You got a name of them all? Or? No. <laughs> no, cool. I'm not. Yeah, fair play. We'll be fair here play. till the next great race. So uh, there's got to be a couple of caveats on all this too. So do you count Nissan and Datsun as the same or different? See, it'd be like counting – it'd be like counting – that is a hard one. I would count them as being the same. Yeah, I would too. Does that make it 36? Oh, it might do. And what about Alfa Romeo and El Feta? They're the same thing. Oh, they're the same thing. Okay. Mm, okay, so it's 30-something is what 30 we're basically something. saying. Yes. Um, is there anyone that stands out that's not ever run? I mean, there's been a Subaru. There has been a Subaru. There's been the Suzuki. It's been Mercedes, obviously. There's been all sorts of weird things. I said about the Suzuki that was in the Schedule S that didn't start. But I think that's the only Suzuki that could have started. tried to. So I I don't think Suzuki's on that list off the top of my head. Interesting. But those two leader races brought us some manufacturers that hadn't run for a while. Um, And that's the last time that there's some of those names appear because of that unique element of having two races in. Mm. Those years. So. Of course, yeah. Two very um, limited pool of manufacturers mm. Mm. took part in the 1000 after that. Yeah, a little note here too that uh, uh, he, he hate. well, he says he hates getting credit and being mentioned and named, so stuff that we're going to do it just to really wind him. Hey, he's got a byline in the um, upcoming Shane, Bathurst program. He does. Shane Rogers, by the way, in the uh, Repco Bathurst 1000 official program, if you've got a copy, great. If you don't, get one. Uh, we have let him loose with the trivia quiz. Uh, we've brought it back. I mean, it used to be a staple diet of the Bathurst 1000 program back mm. in the day. And we thought, now that we're publishing the program, we're going to bring back something old school. So this year's 176 pages, Will, which that's the biggest ever Bathurst 1000 program. So it's a boomer. It's more than a page of lap. It is. It is. Very good point. Uh, so we've let Shane Rogers, who's our resident um Database statistics. Data engineer? Data engineer. Yeah, yeah. we'll go with that. Uh, we've let him loose on our database for both the program trivia quiz and also to assist with some of the answers in this. So he has dug up something, though, or, or offered up a little tidbit here. He said that the biggest one in terms of cars sold in 2022 that have never had an entry in the great race before in the last 60 years, Kia. Oh, yes. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. So there you go. Just something uh, to throw in there at the end. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au. Mark Weckett. Another manufacturer type question. Which manufacturer's done the most laps at the Bathurst 1000 total? Jeez, Mark, steady on. That's a bit large. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we have this database where we can just add things up it's, relatively straightforward. It's got to be Holden. There's just been more yes, of them it more is. often, it surely. Is. With more than 120,000 completed laps across great race history. Yeah, fair play. Ford has to be second, surely. It is, with more than 87,000. I've got no idea who's third, by the way. Um, third is a surprising oh, contender. No, I think I know. Toyota. Millions of Corollas for so many years in Group A and something. No? Oh, you're looking at me it weird. It is not. It is It no. is a little car, but it mm. is the most famous little car. Oh, not a Mini. It is Morris. No. Morris oh, well, okay. The- yeah, there were lots of them. Yeah. For a long, long stretch of time and through into the 70s, mid-70s even. Yeah. 13,000 plus laps. Heck. That's, that's large. It I is would large. not have guessed that, but yeah. it totally makes sense. Well played. And they kept going. You could roll them and roll them straight back on their wheels and yeah, it was press a, on. it was a short, sharp little roll. Yeah. Uh, so t- <laughs> this could be awkward. What's the least laps done by a manufacturer in the history of the Great Race? This one that's was very not zero for people <laughs> who haven't it's not. turned up. But no, no, no. Um, straightforward. Maserati. Uh, one, one entry, one start. Well, actually, technically two entries. They sort of bungled that. Um, 
29 laps in 1987 before that car was finally put to bed. And never came back. No, it didn't. Two of them turned up a week later at Calder. And then that was it. Well, they, they, the I think they team. had two of them at Bathurst because they had a tea car. They did because they thought that would have them two entries for the race. But oh, they um, made a bit of a mistake. Doesn't work that yeah. way. Oops. Oh, anyway. there you go. Mazza, never. Mazza Just never? once. Just Mazawana. Yeah. Mazawana. Uh, okay, let's move along. Ah, now. We're in a very good Bathurst 1000 topic here. <laughs> I'm just warming up. A couple of these from a couple of different guys. So thanks to Peter James and Stu Brown for firing these in. Uh, Peter asked, did the changing car rule change after the Brock switch or later? So let's let's do these separately because they're sort of same but different. Did the rule change after the Brock switch or later? Which Brock switch? Exactly where I was going with it. <laughs> yes. There's, there were a few the over an- time. The answer is later. Yes. It finally... It was finally written out of the rules in 1992 for the Great Race. We actually did touch on this with the Sandown 500 um, Mm. episode a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah, 1992 was the first year. Well, 91 was the last year that you could swap cars. Yeah, you could cross any of your drivers. And the first year was 1980. Uh, First year was 1977. Ah, right. 1980 was the first year it was used. Yes, I believe so. Right. Okay. So... That links to Stu Brown's question, and Stu asks, how many cars have cross-ended over the years with lead drivers taking over the second car? Brock's copped it over the years, but he knows that Johnson did it in 88, but nobody talks about it because it didn't turn into a win. And that's exactly what my point is every time about this topic. Mm-hmm. Well, people moan that Brock won seven, not nine. He had to jump cars. But he's the only one that did it and won. Yes, so many other top-line drivers and teams did it. They just didn't win and get the job done. Correct. They all came used, close. They came close. Dick came close. Took three cars between he and JV in 88. <laughs> yes. But the rule was there. Others used it to their advantage. They just didn't get the job done. Mm. And, yeah, it's a weird rule. And when you look at it now, you go, shit, that's all a bit strange. Could you imagine, you know, this year's race, oh, Fiend's Shane out. Hops into He's the jumping 88. in to go yeah. get some points with Shane. You know, it's... It's, it's from a bygone era of, of Bathurst history, but um, I think there's roughly, I think we've done the numbers here. So I've got here 21 times or cars where a car ran a cross-enter driver between 80 and, and 91. Yes. And the last that last one in 91 is a real interesting one because it was Mark Scaife who won the race in car one mm. and set the fastest lap of the race in car two. And retired. And retired. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the thing was too, once you jump cars, you couldn't go back. Which is interesting if um, Richo had had an issue in the final Correct. stint. Correct, which in the grand scheme of things, not so smart. Uh, brave. Courageous, brave. Yeah. as they well, say in Yes Minister. Could, could you have, if Jim Richards had been unwell in the last stint and needed to get out. Toss a coin between Gary Walden and Drew Price. I was going to say Gary Walden or Drew Price. <laughs> We're going to be about this 1,000 winner potentially. Yeah. Just weird things that we think of over time. And, of course, Brock changed in 83 yes. to win. Tried to do an 81, but the car he was going to jump into yeah. um, crashed on its way to the pits. Yeah, had a split rim. John Harvey yes. ended up taking Graham Bailey with him. And ironically, five years later, Bailey wins and Harvey second. In oh, the race. yeah. So just little things that work out. And in 86, there was a bit of chat maybe about Brock jumping in the Harvey low car, but it didn't happen. Yeah, right. He let them press on and, and do their thing. So, Well, you think, um, you think of the 84 race where – and 85 for that matter – where teams entered two cars but only two drivers across each car. So you had the roadways team with 6 and 36 for Alan Grice and Steve Harrington. And for Steve Harrington and Alan Grice. And for Steve Harrington (laughs) and Alan Grice. And the 42 and 43 Mazdas for Alan Moffat and Greg Hansford. And and that was a play because, as you alluded to before with the Maseratis, your T car was a test car. It wasn't entered. Mm. It had to have a T on it or a number T or whatever it was. But it was an entry. So those teams cotton on to the fact that, well, we run one-car teams, but if we're ever going to beat Brock with two, we need to run two and give ourselves the insurance policy of the for the first stint. If one of them breaks, then mm. we've got the other one to press on in. And, and actually for Moffat in 84, that worked out because his lead car, the Mazda, was squeezed up against the pit wall and went on a, you know, big wheeling roll of death up on two wheels like it was in a stunt show. The forgotten shunt of the 84 yeah, first start. Yeah, and, and in the end that car was retired and it was actually the second car that he and 
Greg Hansford pressed on in to finish uh, third um, in that race. So, yeah, lots of cross-entering over those years. So I do laugh a lot when that – and that is a topic you know on socials will just rile people, sen- just senseless. But they get is, so worked up about it. But this is the thing. The whole point of the rule coming in, which it came in in 77, was to ensure that big-name drivers could still potentially have a chance at winning the race – if their car went out early, if yeah. their primary car went out early. And, of course, famously Alan Moffat and Colin Bond had had the discussion in the caravan about the whole swapping cars mm. mid-race. So no matter what happened, each of them would be a, um, winner. a Bathurst 1000 winner. And as much as the 1-2 generates, you know, it's one of the iconic moments of great race history. Yeah. Could you imagine if that had happened, it would have, I mean, it would have changed what the moment was, but it would have been a whole different moment of its own because we saw in 83 how it scrambled everyone's brains that that could happen. But it was different in that a car was out of the race. Mm. In this case, both cars were still going, albeit one of them was hobbling and limping to the line. But we would have had a completely different weird reason why the 77 race would be remembered for a long time to come. Yes, so. it really is. Hmm. Next question from Grant Hilda. Youngest driver who was posted the fastest lap between 73 and 2023 and the oldest driver who was posted the fastest lap in the same period. So he's going for the 1,000 era there yes. from 73 onwards, which is a smart play, Grant. Now, there's a couple of years in the early – I think 75 is one of them where there's no fastest lap Yes, that was yeah. recorded um, by the organisers at the time. but Which is weird. Yeah, I, don't, I don't get that. I'm but not sure. I wasn't here. So maybe yeah. the uh, – the stopwatches failed. I've got no idea. Who knows? Who knows? But the answer is unsurprisingly Craig Lowndes. 1995, he was 20 when he started on pole, led early, and then the engine went bang, which well, they didn't knew. lead. What's that? Didn't lead. Started on pole. Started on pole, but yeah. didn't lead the race. It did for about a second or two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, fair. that's where I was going. With okay. It. Um, so he set the fastest lap before it DNF'd. Mm. And it was the previous year that the oldest fastest lap driver was Dick Johnson at 49. It's funny to think that that was just a year apart that those yeah. two things occurred. Yeah. Oh, great race history. Got to love it. Andrew Hayes, who was the most inexperienced combo to ever win the great race? And I presume we're not counting the winners of the first one. Well, given that they were Bob Jane and Harry Firth, both who had long comp- competition careers before that point. And the question is the great race. Andrew doesn't say at Bathurst. Mm. And, of course, those blokes had been in the great race for three years at Phillip Island. Yes. So if you apply that anyway, there's a combination later on that beats that regardless. Yes. Um, I think Craig Lowndes once again and Greg Murphy, 1996. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they're the only, according to Shane's data dig here, they're the only combo since it was combos, so 73, and that's the other reason why Andrew is saying 73 because it went to 1,000 Ks and you had to have two drivers in each car, you couldn't do it solo anymore. But Lanza and Murph are the only combo since 73 onwards to win the race where all drivers had two prior Bathurst 1000 starts or less when they won in 96. Mm. So each of them had done two. Yeah. Three if you count 96. They had to start that one to win it. So, yes. Yeah, so sort of – well, the answer was well, – the question was who's the most experienced combo? The answer is Lanza and Murphy. Yes. Yeah. Glenn Sansom, based on laps completed, where would the safety car have finished in races with high safety car usage, such as 92, 96, 2000, 2014 and 2017? Lazy commentary throwaway line, Glenn, this one. Mm. Oh, the safety car's been there so many times today. <laughs> Could have finished 23rd in the race. No chance in any of those races ever. Uh, no. So the record for sa- for laps completed by the safety car, well, Laps completed under safety car is how we measure it, but that's how many it did. We measure it as affected by a safety car. Yes. Um, Was the 2006 race where there were 45, and that would have only put it above six cars that actually finished the race. Or, sorry, would have put it above six other non-finishers in the results. Both HRT cars, though. Yes, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's definitely one way of looking at HRT's 06. It's the thing that I think of 06 every time. Uh, there was also that year where they had to, a couple of years where the safety car broke down, of course. Oh, did they have to ever have to refuel it? Uh, they not swapped like the, safety cars one year, didn't they? Yeah, they swapped. Well, they 90s, had, early noughties? Oh, I think it was a Commodore that had a power steering failure and oh, they had to swap it out. Tough and it out, tough it out. I think that first year in 87 with the Nissans, they had a turbo well, issue. Well, the, the, that in that era, there were two safety cars on the track at the one time. So I think they had three cars 
in use because one of them no longer continued. There were two mm. safety cars, remember, for the first four years, from 87 to 90, there was two pace cars mm. on the track at once. So um, I'm glad we got rid of that. Could you imagine the confusion? Oh, my God. Yes. Um, Terry Napras- Naprastic, I think is how we say Terry's surname, he said, over the years, how many broken and running out of fuel cars made it to the finish? So he points out the Moffat Falcon, that makes sense, that was yep. struggling. Mark Gibbs's GTR, which was coughing and banging for those last laps in 91. Sounded very unhealthy. Uh, Jamie Winkup, the seven-cylinder V8 Commodore, to get out and get some points, 2017 after. Won him the championship. Yeah, did. Those points all came in very, very handy. He said, are there any more from over the years? Yeah, the first, there, there are plenty. The one that springs to mind for me was the Everlast Commodore in 1990, the um, Bill O'Brien, Brian Sampson car that was struggling along on the final lap and had the misfortune of crossing the line at about the same time as the race winner. A bee's knee in front of it, though. Yes. Which means you've got to do another lap mm. to come around. But And they couldn't. <laughs> no, they were cooked. So they were. I think they finished eighth yes. in the race. They got booted Yep. because they said, well, you're a non-finisher. You didn't finish the last lap because you went across the line just before the winner. And they successfully argued that in the regs at the time, it said that the – amount of time that you had to cross the line within yes. the winner crossing the line was six minutes or whatever it was. It didn't say before or after. <laughs> yes. So they got their result back. Yeah, which, which then, which actually impacted a couple of cars the following year that tried to use the same excuse but the um, rules had been, been tightened yeah, yeah, at that point. I, I do love, though, the um, I think it was 78, the Sue Ransom Capri, mm. which when you looked at results it says it had a flat tyre on the last lap and that it – it also did the whole cross the line just in front of the winner thing. Mm. Bit of a different element there, though. Mm. And and Sue Ransom has spoken about this in Muscle Car Magazine in, in previous years. They were forced to run an illegal engine because their primary engine was no good, so they had to uh, run the spare, which right. they knew was illegal. So they deliberately got themselves DNF'd so they didn't have to go to scrutineering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, brilliant. Mm, there you go. Uh, Mitch O'Brien, can you tell me – about a list of the most laps led in great race history without winning in terms of drivers. So we can. Um, the way our data works is that we have, we're have getting to a point where we can split out um, individual laps led by a driver. We're not there yet. So mm. what we can do is a list of drivers where... The combination the, leads. The combination leads the race. Yeah. And they might not have been physically in the car when it went over the line to lead yes. that lap. But at the end of the day, you win the race together, you lose the race together, so you lead the laps together or you DNF together, whatever it is. So that yes. makes that, that makes fair play to me. Yeah. So the list that Shane has given us. Um, on top is Klaus Dienstwitz, 176 laps led at so the great he, race. So he led more than a full Bathurst 1000 and not got a win out of it all. Yeah. Um, the next name is a bit of a surprise to me. David Bernard, 172. It's not a surprise to me, though. 2010, he and Holdsworth led a chunk of laps that is true. in the GRM Fujitsu car. I reckon more than half of his laps led there will have come in that race. Yeah, I would They led for a long that. time. Um, Pierre Giudonne, 131 laps. Um, Most of which would have been, if not all, in 1987. Yes. Um, Paul Radisich, 127 laps. And Shane's added a note here in brackets. Bonus, bonus points for mountain straight horse feeding. I don't think you get any bonus points for mountain straight horse feeding. You didn't get feeding. a trophy. No, don't get anything. And Paul's allergic to horses as well. Yeah, that's ironic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, next on the list, Cam Waters on 121, tied with Tom Walkinshaw on 121. Who, whose 85 stint would have been pretty much – no, that would have been where all that of those been laps it. were. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Didn't lead any in 84. No, definitely not. Didn't finish any. In no. 84. So Cam Waters on 121 there, staring down the barrel of a piece of great race history that he will not want. No. Because he's been so competitive in the last few years and on the podium, so no shock that he's pretty quickly worked his way up that list of, of laps led, but uh, not on the winner's board just yet. Uh, Liam Briggs, this is an interesting question that we can, I guess, discuss and Peel back the onion layers, as it were. Uh, why did the ARDC decide to change the format from 1,000 Ks to 500 Ks for the Super Touring Race in 99? And when did the ARDC slash Channel 7 decide to axe the Super Tourer race completely? Well, I don't think there were any Super Tourers that would have, like the cost involved in running a Super Tourer for 1,000 Ks. 
I think it was slightly beyond all the Australian teams that were entered for the 99 race, I would have thought. That was part of it, but the bit that was above that, well, there were so many elements here and, and I've actually tried to unpack this a little bit in the new Great Race Bathurst book, the paperback that I've written this year that's in our uh, V8 Sleuth Superstore. It's in all, all good bookshops around the place as well. If you're at the track this weekend, uh, there's copies in the Repco Trackside store as well. I wrote a bunch of stuff about that whole Bathurst war in the late 90s, the two races and Toka and Novesco and Channel 7 and Channel 10 and all of the elements. So this was kind of the bit that fell out the back end of of all of that. So um, Channel 7 had forked out lots of money in the previous two super touring races to import some of those British touring cars and drivers. Mm. Um, they didn't want to have that spend for the for the 99 race. Um there was plenty of politics in, in play here. So the, the thought process then was to make it a 1,000K race with Super Tourers joined by V8 Commodores and Falcons that were new Millennium Oscars, Junior Tourers, call them what you will, that mm. category that had grown out of Bathurst Oscar tourers. racing. Yeah, it's yeah a, they think what they were Bathurst called tourers. at the time. Exactly. So um, I've got no doubt there was some pressure applied from other places Um you can join the dots on who, what, when, where, why, or how um, of another category that was having another V8 series that was about to begin the next year that it would have wanted people to run in its series. Funny how history kind of repeats in a way, a little bit here or there. And um, a permit wasn't issued. CAMS refused to issue a permit for the combined race. Mm. So in the end, the two leader cars ran in their own race because they had to be split from the V8s, which were run under an Oscar racing permit, so Bob Jane's um, sanctioning body, which, mm. of course, he had famously had a, a tiff, one of many, with yes, cams yes. Um, some years earlier to become his own sanctioning body for Thunderdome and, and stock car racing. So that's in essence why it changed because they couldn't run a 1,000K race purely for a field of sort of 15-plus super tourers, uh, mm. local cars, so that had to change. So then, and I think there was even feeling at seven at the time from some of the executives that, you know, thousand. It's a too long race. Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. And we'll have this festival of motorsport. And um, it's like and, the reverse of the no sacred sites argument. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. Um, it was really out of step. And don't forget too, the Olympics were on the horizon for seven, so their eye was not on the ball. Mm. And they had, as history shows, they lost the war. I mean, they did. They V eights said, hey. If you don't pay us, we're part. Of, we're bringing the show to the, the great race. We'll leave, and really, the fans did vote with their feet. I mean, history shows that. But without having the draw card of a retiring Peter Brock, the '98 attendance was very low. Yeah, and the same weekend was the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix at Phillip mm. Island as well um, on Channel Ten. So um, it was just one of those cases where the public voted with its feet when they were offered two races. They voted for the V8 race yeah. by my – and, of course, Channel 7 had invested so heavily and had so much success with Bathurst over the years, they didn't want to just hand it over. Hmm. So they said, well, we'll press on because it meant a lot of advertising money and yeah. TV ratings and, of course, come 99. Uh, and, and I should say too, with Liam's note, the ARDC ended up stepping out of running that event. It actually became um, – what was Advantage International, which I was, was Octagon, which became time? Octagon yeah. just before that October '99 event. So it wasn't actually the ARDC who were who were running that event. Um, so that's really how that played out to be that way. And then there, were, I mean, there was even reports that they were looking at moving the Channel Seven Bathurst to early in 2000 to avoid the Sydney Olympics, which were on later in 2000. And then came the news that. Um, it was all over Red Rover. So the minute that Channel 7 pulled out of uh, televising Super Touring, which um, – when did that happen? So they ran a summer season end of 2000 into 2001. Mm. So their Bathurst had disappeared in 2000. It was just not a thing anymore. And um, Channel 7 made the call, I think it was what, late 2001 maybe that um, in the calendar year that they were out of the TV deal with Toka, which meant that Toka went with no TV deal, we're done. So yeah. Super Touring finished up, game over, job done. So mm. that's how it all played out to be and that's ultimately why the 1,000 became a 500 in uh, in 99 in what is a 
an interesting footnote in Bathurst endurance history, I guess you'd say. Yes. Hmm. Bathurst, did, but did not a Bathurst. Did we cover it all? Did we cover I, it I think that ticked all the boxes. Yeah, I think that ticked it. So there you go. John Wilmington, another controversial topic here. The year of the pile-up on top of the mountain when the race was called, in brackets he's got 1981 for the young people playing. Do you think they should have counted the crashed cars in the results like they did, considering they caused the race stoppage? And I guess you could apply that to 92 as well. Uh, well, yes, because they um, they completed the laps. The rules were that the race result goes back a lap or two if it needs to. So it's kind of just how it is. I mean, it's yeah, it's a weird one. If you could be involved in the thing that stops the, the race but still carry a result and win some prize money or whatever it may be, but that's just the nature of sport, racing, motorsport. Yeah. That's life, yeah. There's the rules as they were. Yeah, yep. Last question from Tony Ryan, who says, I love a weird stat, like the Scott McLaughlin 17-33 polls in car numbers. Uh, Can any- you remind people what that is? So there was a point when McLaughlin notched up his 50th career pole position in 2019, which I think happened at Albert Park. He'd registered 33 pole positions in car 17 and 17 pole positions in car 33. Which were his two, his two- race numbers across Penske and GRM. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, so Tony's asking if we've got any weird Bathurst stats. And it's funny because elsewhere in our call-out post, um, one of our one of our followers, Sebastian DeSalvo, actually came up with a really good one, I thought. All right, hit me. So if you think back to the 2006 Sandown 500. Okay. Okay. First win for FPR. Yep. Mark Winterbottom, Jason Bright win the race. Yep. Rick Kelly, Todd Kelly second. Yep. Craig Lowndes, Jamie Wincup third. Yeah, after a uh, log pit stop, I think. Yeah, break change, change, change issue. issue? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Fast forward to Bathurst. Right. I'm, I'm, am I looking for a pattern here, by the way? I think you are. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm listening. Um, Mark Winterbottom, Jason Bright, failed to finish. Okay, so they've had hero to zero. Hero to zero. Rick Kelly, Todd Kelly, again finished second. Um, as per. As per. And Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup win the race. So... Okay, so they go from third to a win. Yes. Now, fast forward 10 years to 2016. Right. Sandown 500, Garth Tander, Warren Luff win the race. Last race win for the Holden Racing Team. At Sandown. At Sandown. Mm -hmm. Shane Van Gisbergen, Alex Premer finished second. Yeah. Will Davison, Jonathan Webb finished (laughs) third. Now I see where you're going with this. Yeah, Mm. yeah, finish it off. Yeah, yeah. Bathurst, Garth Tander, Warren Luff, DNF. And you know why. Yes. Because they started from eighth. Oh, yes. And no one's ever won from eighth. <laughs> Read about it in the program. Yeah. Uh, Shane Van Gisberg and Alex Prammer again finished second. And Will Davison and Jonathan Webb won the race. The so exact ten, same ten sequence, years apart, 10 years Sandown apart. The 500 result had the same sequence where the winner at Sandown didn't finish Bathurst, runner-up at Sandown finished second at Bathurst, and third at Sandown won Bathurst. Yes. That's, that's impressive. Kooky. Yeah. That's a good spot from wow. Sebastian. That's a ripper. Well bold, Sebastian. That yeah. is that's top notch. And you know what? In 2026, look out if wherever you're the 500 <laughs> is, yeah. I'm putting money down on this. Yeah. Once that sand down or wherever it is 500 result is in, I'm I'm locking in. This this is good. This Send could, it. This Send could it. be a thing 10 years uh, on from 16. We need to go back and look at um 86. I didn't think about that. We could probably or, do it. Or, or 96, 96, for that matter. Well, oh, actually, it doesn't, doesn't work. work. It doesn't yeah. work. And, and 86, it, oh, actually, it might. On. Yeah. Nearly. It's close because think yeah. about it. Let's let's just, well, we've got five seconds before we finish this pod. Mm. In 86, George Fury and Glenn Seaton won Sandown. Mm-hmm. They didn't finish Bathurst. Mm-hmm. That matches. Ticks one box. Second at Sandown was Gary Scott and Terry Shield, despite Grice's best attempt to rearrange that Nissan. Mm. They finished, they finished third, third at Bathurst. Bathurst. Ah, shit. Close. Grice and Bailey finished third at Sandown and won One Bathurst. <laughs> oh, that's good. close. Yeah. That's very close. Yeah. Oh, that's very good. That's It doesn't work um, for 96, but that's impressive. That's yeah. – wow. That, that 86 very nearly fits the – Fits the scenario there. So well bold, Sebastian. That's very good. That's very good. That's yes. uh excellent sleuthing. Mm, good sleuthing. Mm. That's that's statistical sleuthing at its finest. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, thank you everyone for sending in your questions for our Repco Bathurst 1000 QA. I hope you've enjoyed our little drive down memory lane with a few detours along the way. It's just how we do it. And 
You never know when you, where you're going to go. Uh, we do get back to the pathway of questions eventually, but there's the odd tangent that gets uh, driven down every day. That's true. That's okay. It's our place. A uh, quick reminder too, over the course of the four days of the Repco Bathurst 1000, uh, we'll have the team back with Repco Bathurst Daily with plenty of news and analysis from each day of the four days at this year's great race, the 60th anniversary great race at Bathurst, the Repco Bathurst 1000. So tune in across the course of the four days. Back next week, oh, you're going to like this, next Wednesday on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, Tony Cochran. Hey. And the week after, Tony Cochran. Two-parter with the former Supercast chairman, and we talk about all sorts. It goes everywhere. So Tony Cochran on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. That's next week. Enjoy Repco Bathurst 1000 Race Week if you're at the track. You're watching on TV, wherever you might be. Uh, enjoy the race. Don't bet on whoever starts eight. Or actually, you know, you might be able to change history. Nevertheless, enjoy yourself. Have a good one. We'll chat to you next week. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out.